The battle for your soul was fought in two gardens. The first garden is in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, the Garden of Eden. God makes a perfect world. And in that perfect world, Adam and Eve have been created, made in God's image. And if they are obedient to God, they can experience the joys of eternal life. But Satan came along in that first garden, and he talked Adam and Eve out of their destiny. And as a result, every person born into this world, including you and me, were born under the curse of sin. But God was not willing to let this planet spin out into oblivion, and all of its inhabitants experience a destiny without God. So God sent his only begotten son on a rescue mission. And that's what the whole Bible is about. Jesus Christ coming to this world to live a life that you couldn't live, a victorious life, and then being willing to pay for your sin on a cross in order that your sin and the sins of the whole world might be washed away and that you could have eternal life. Many of us have watched dramas or movies about Jesus dying on the cross. And sometimes when Jesus' body is placed in the grave, the idea is presented that Satan was very happy about that. Jesus is dead, and the demons of hell are rejoicing. I got to tell you, that's absolute fiction. I guarantee you that Satan wasn't rejoicing when Jesus' body was put in the grave. He knew God well enough to know that Jesus would come out of that grave just like he promised. There was only one thing that Satan had hoped for. Being against God and having his own self-interest in the beginning, Satan had the hopes that Jesus Christ, at the moment of decision, would back out and not go to the cross. And that's why I tell you that your destiny was settled. The decision was made. It was solidified in a garden. You and I lost everything in the Garden of Eden. But on a decision that was made in the Garden of Gethsemane, we had the opportunity to gain it all. Let's take just a few moments in our Bibles to go back and take a look at exactly what happened in this awesome experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to begin with Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, where Jesus goes into the garden to pray. This was not a new experience. Jesus prayed there often, but what happened on the night of his arrest was absolutely new. The Bible says he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be filled with horror and deep distress. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. On this night when Jesus goes in the Garden of Eden, he experiences emotions as he's never felt before. The Bible says that he had a horror. A horror came over his soul. There are some of you here today, you've experienced depression. And you know very graphically what it's like to have a horror come over your soul that you cannot explain. And then the Bible goes on to use a term that almost means disorientation. What Jesus was experiencing in this garden is something that we really can never understand. But he was about to walk into, he was about to walk in this pathway that would take him to this point of paying for our sins and separation from God. You know, guys, the worst thing about hell, aside from the fire and the pain that the Bible talks about, the worst thing about hell is that those who go there are eternally separated from God. Pressed into the compendium of those six hours on the cross, our Lord would experience not only the suffering for our sins, but he would take our hell for us. He experienced separation from God. And as Jesus walked into the garden that night, he began to feel the first tremors 
of what it would be like to experience that separation. The horror that overcame him. I tried to put myself in Jesus' place to wonder what I would feel like if I was feeling what he felt in the, in the garden. The prophet Isaiah, 750 years before Jesus was born, indicated that Jesus' soul would be crushed by the will of God and his soul would literally become an offering for sin. So it wasn't just the nails in his hands and the crown of thorns on his brow. It was this awful emotional blitz that Jesus would encounter. As I put myself in his place as feebly as I can try, I thought I can understand why Jesus would pray. I think my prayer in the Garden of Eden would have been something like this. Lord, help me. Father, help me. If I'm going to have to undergo the crown of thorns and the nails, help me as I encounter those things. But when you turn to John's Gospel, chapter 17, and you read this incredible high priestly prayer that Jesus prays for, you will discover that he was not praying for himself. He was praying for you. Somebody would say, well, Mark, that sounds incredible. Was Jesus, was Jesus praying for me? I know he was praying for his disciples, but was he praying for me? The answer is yes. In verse 20, Jesus said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. See, the disciples told the people in their generation who told the people in their generation until finally somebody came along and told us. So in this night when Jesus entered this garden called Gethsemane, which means press or crushed, it was where they crushed the olives. When Jesus' soul was crushed within him, he was praying for you. Isn't that awesome? He was praying for you and for me. So what did he ask God for? I want to know. And the Bible tells us in, for, in the Gospel of John chapter 17, Jesus said, now I'm departing the world. I'm leaving them behind and coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them and care for them. During my time here, verse 12, I have kept them safe. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. The first thing that was on Jesus' mind when he began to talk to his father was your security, your safety. I'm not talking about your physical safety. We all do things for that. You know, we have seatbelts and automobiles and airbags and we take our vitamins and we medicate ourselves properly and try to keep ourselves in shape and we lock our doors so that things such as happened in Atlanta this week won't happen to us. But that's not the kind of security that Jesus was praying for here altogether. He was concerned about your eternal destiny. When you leave this life, you're either going to heaven to be with God or you're going to hell to be separated from God forever. That living part of you, that soul, is going out into eternity. What Jesus was asking for was that your soul might be guarded, safe for God. The disciples that God had given Jesus, Jesus said, I have guarded them, I've kept them. He said, now I'm about to go away. And he said, Father, I want you to guard them. I want you to keep them. Have you ever wondered if something could take your soul away from God? Maybe you've expressed faith in Christ and you've invited him to be your Lord and Savior, but you say, Mark, I wonder what would happen to me if maybe sometime before I die I do something wrong and my soul could be lost. 
Oh, friend, don't you understand today that when you come by faith to Jesus Christ, not only are your sins washed away, but your soul is forever kept and guarded by Jesus. When Jesus prayed that night, he was saying, Father, guard them. I'm reading from John's Gospel, chapter 17. But if I were to back up to chapter 5, there's a tremendous, tremendous text of Scripture in which Jesus talks about those who put their faith in him. John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus said, I assure you, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Now, isn't that interesting? The Bible doesn't say you will have eternal life. He said, if you heard the word and you believe in God who sent Jesus, his son, you have everlasting life. You say, Mark, I'm afraid I could lose my eternal life. You can't lose eternal life. It's everlasting. That's why you're never going to die, as we saw last week. Jesus said, those who hear the word and believe have already eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. That means if you've come by faith to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, nobody can ever take your soul out of the hand of God. Jesus would say in John 6, 37, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. Many of you have experienced rejection. Some of you have even experienced the rejection of parents who kicked you out of a house or a mate who walked away. Or some of you may have gotten a pink slip this week. Rejection. But Jesus says if you ever come to him by faith, he will never reject you. He will never cast you out. Such is the kind of protection that Jesus has asked God for that you may have. So that's the first thing that Jesus was praying for. He said, Father, I guarded them. None of them were lost. He said, I'm committing them to you. The second thing may be kind of surprising. Somebody might say, Mark, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I'm having a pretty tough time in life. Listen to the second request. Jesus said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. It may surprise you to know that Jesus didn't ask for you to have an easy life. If he had wished, he could have said, Father, I want you to take them out of here right now. They would have been safe. But you and I would have never known Jesus Christ because nobody would have ever brought the gospel. We used to sing a song when I was a kid about the sweet by and by. Our problem is we're living in the nasty now and now, aren't we? And Jesus said, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out. See, by leaving us here, we have an opportunity to make an impact on our culture. And see, we don't always develop when things are easy. I discover in my life, most of my growth occurs in times when things are tough. Sometimes it's harder to handle it when things are easy. I know a man very well who's a very wealthy man. He's a millionaire many, many times over and owns several car dealerships. His son is a little older than myself. And we're very close. When his son went to college as a freshman, his dad did not let him have a car. That was kind of tough on my, on my friend because here he was at a university with everybody having a car and his dad owned car dealerships. This dad loved this son. He was the apple of his eye. And he said, I want my son to develop. I want him to learn values. I want him to be strong. I really think there are times when God allows us to be in taxing situations so that we may learn his grace. But remember this. In Jesus' prayer of saying, Lord, I want you to live them in the world, he said, I want you to be sure to protect them from the evil one. And that means as you navigate this world, 
that you have God's protection from Satan in your lives, which is so valuable. The third request, Jesus said, my prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you're in me and I'm in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe that you sent me. Hey, did you hear that? Jesus was saying, Father, I want them all to be one. That's kind of hard for us to get sometimes. I heard about a pastor who was speaking to a group of three-year-olds. And he said to these three-year-olds trying to explain these texts, Jesus said, Jesus wants us all to be one. One little girl said, I don't want to be one. I want to be four. (laughs) Sometimes we don't want to be one. It's a challenge to have unity in God's family because we all have feelings and sometimes worse yet, we all have mouths. It's also sad but true, but one reason why the world doesn't pay more attention to those of us who are people of faith is that we struggle so hard to get along with each other. Jesus said, Father, I want them all to be one so that the world will know that you sent me. You know, the THX sign before the movie, the slogan says, the audience is listening. Church The world is watching. And Jesus prayed, Father, let them be one. And now I come to my favorite part of Jesus' prayer for us in the garden. He said, Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me so that they can see my glory. Oh, these guys had gotten to see Jesus' humanity. But Jesus said, Father, I want them to get to be with me so that they can experience my glory. I grew up in church like a lot of you kids do, and Sunday morning after church was often a time for us kids to broker our Sunday afternoons of how we could spend them with each other. Sometimes my friends would go to their parents and say, hey, is it okay if Mark comes over to our house today? I'm going to spend the afternoon with Mark. Is it okay if Mark comes over to our house today? Isn't it incredible that when Jesus was facing the cross, he knelt down and thought about you and said, Father, I want her to be able to come home to my house with me. Father, I want him to come to my house with me. Isn't that awesome? When you would have thought it would have been all about him, it was all about you. And now I'm going to ask you a question. Although there's no doubt, it was settled. I love the part of the drama where Jesus turns to look at Satan and says, the hour's come. (laughs) All your negotiations meant nothing to me. Jesus had made his decision. It was settled. There was no question about whether he would go to the cross to die for you. The question is, will you accept him to be your Lord? and your Savior. It was all about you for him. But could it be about him for you? Where you're sitting today, could you by faith reach out and accept him as your Savior and Lord? That's all God asks you to do. We're going to see next Sunday that Jesus died to pay for all your sins. It's an absolute free gift. You don't get eternal life by being a Baptist or 
or being a Catholic or being baptized. We read it just a few moments ago in John chapter 5. He that hears the word and believes has eternal life. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, wherever you are in this building, if you're watching by television, if you're downloading this, wherever you are, you can ask Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Savior. This same Savior who knelt and prayed for you and died for you and came out of the grave is alive in heaven. He not only hears your words, he hears the pulse of your heart. He knows each nuance of your thinking. And you can call out to him wherever you are and you can invite him to be your Lord and your Savior. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you've never received this Savior as your Lord, you can do it. I'm going to give you some words to pray. These are not the only words. They're just words that can call out for Christ. You can pray your own prayer. You can repeat this prayer after me. You just reach out by faith and pray. Father, I know I've sinned. I know I've broken your law. And I know I can't save myself. Today, I take your son, Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior. I turn from my sin, and I receive the gift of eternal life because you have promised it in your word. I believe I have it in Jesus' name. Now, right now, in the quietness of this moment, still with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to do something that's kind of, kind of different. There's really no way for us to get up and move around because of the congestion here at the front, but wherever you are right now in your seat, God heard you pray that prayer. And for everyone who took Jesus privately, there was always a public response, and this is a small thing, but it's a way that you can respond. In your worship folder, you have a little card you can tear off, and on there, there's a place where you can check and say, I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior. You can let me know that. Detach that card. When the offering's received in a few moments, you can drop that card in the offering plate and say, Pastor, I want you to know I received Jesus as my Savior. Or if you have more questions about it, and you say, Mark, I'm not sure, you can let me know that as well. There are other things you can tell me on that card. But right now, you just want to take that first.